Uh, Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield, Golden Circle Sportsbook, and Mario. Yeah, we got to fix that. Uh, inside the Treasure Island, parking is free. we got three hours of sports talk and other stuff on the way. We're watching the end of round two for the Masters. We'll get you an update and updates throughout the show. we got lots of afternoon baseball on. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed the announcement on the schedule at the beginning of the season, especially that they were going to play a ton of day games. Around Major League Baseball, it seems like a, a ton of day games this week. Not complaining, but uh, we'll get you some updates on what's going on around baseball. Angst is always heat between players, managers, and umpires. That's coming up at 3.30. But uh, Adam Hill is here as the company. Adam, what's up? Not much. I think they're trying to avoid, like, the last couple of years, they've had a lot of really cold games at this time of year. Smart. I think they're trying to avoid that a little bit. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, it gives us some things to watch during the day, especially when – trees fall at the masters and they have to stop the, stop the play i just saw the video do we know what the reason is a big tree fell uh in between a couple of holes and i think fans escaped i don't i don't know how big the tree was did i say it was big um it looked kind of big i don't know if it like crushed someone but everyone okay i think it would have crushed them i think it was like it looked like three trees or at least like three oh boy uh you know parts of trees uh and it came to <laughs> the, the video is pretty jarring and amazing they said nobody was hurt but uh, fortunate for sure. People got out of there. What's the liability on that one for Augusta and the Masters? Like, do you is there? Can there actually be a disclaimer on the back of a Masters pass or ticket saying, "If trees fall, it's on you." If it's Literally? anywhere, if it's anywhere, it's the Masters. I assume people die there every year. They just hose them off and put them outside. Get out. Yeah, they don't. They don't mess around with that. Wrap stuff. them up in some uh, end of the day pimento cheese sandwiches. Sure. What's so, that what smell? Why? Why do you think the concessions are so cheap? Right. We'll have to, uh, if we remember, we'll have to follow up on this one with uh, either Xavier Pope or Justin Watkins next week, our legal insiders. So out of the gates here in the uh, second round, well, second round's complete for a lot of people, uh, halfway mark for others. Uh, one, Tiger Woods right now is projected to make the cut. Is that is that going to hold? He's two over. The projected cut is two over. Just has to play even and or hope some other people fall back when they restart play tomorrow. That's a good point. He's only on 11. Yeah, he's plus two, he's on eleven, so it's done. So I'm uh, I'm watching a replay. Uh, yeah, this is a okay, replay. It's on right update. now. They uh, literally, as we were going in the air, they just officially shut it down for the day. I mean, it's been shut down for about an hour. Yeah, but they were going to come back on the course. They are not going to now. I think they're there was a bunch of guys with chainsaws working on the trees, so I I assume that they're trying to get those off the course before they continue playing. Well, that's not why they did it. I think so. Is it really? I think. Oh wow. Because the tree fell? I would assume. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, also, I assume the tree fell because of wind or weather or something. Well, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. You can tell both of us were riveted by the Masters today. Uh, Kepka's leading at 12 under. He had a 5 under 67 today. So that's kind of cool. Live guy. They let him in, and now they might win the tournament. At least one of them might. Rom is 9. Uh, but he was only halfway through his round. 2 under today. So maybe by the end of the round tomorrow. So he's looking at... Potentially, well, it's not potentially. I guess if the weather holds, he's playing 27 tomorrow. Yeah, and Rama's only, well, it, it, it might end up getting pushed. Uh, we'll see if it, I think they'll try to get done Sunday, but we'll see. But, uh, yeah, a lot of golf to play for tomorrow. And uh, definitely fortunate for the guys that got done early today, uh, I would assume, to get out there and get it done and uh, not have to worry about coming out to play the second round uh, tomorrow while the other guys do. Um, unless somebody gets super hot. Maybe maybe that helps out tomorrow. We'll see. But Rom's still only, I believe, plus $2 uh, and uh, still plus money uh, on Kepka to win the tournament, even though he's up three three strokes uh, at the end of round two. So a lot of action still to be played for sure. 
Hovland didn't play great today after uh, starting off on fire yesterday. So, you know, a lot to be decided still at the Masters. I still think John Rahm's the best bet. Still think he wins. But, yeah, this kind of throws some chaos into things. I also think if your ball got fallen on by the tree, I think you have to have to play it. Okay. Like, play it where it lies. Never thought of that one. I don't think I've ever had a tree fall on the course on my ball. I think it, it kind of happened in Happy Gilmore. It was more the the TV tower fell, and then they had to kind of turn it into a mini golf hole, play around it, and bank it off. Okay. But I think that's the I think that's the rule. I think you have to play it, play your ball as it lies. So if you're if a tree falls in your ball, I think you got to play it. Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. So last night I was asking uh, before the end of CNC who I should bet. Clearly, the Knights were the play, especially if you wanted to play first period. My God. They came out on fire. Uh, what do you think led to that? Because I want to play a bunch of the goals here because that was pretty crazy. So much action in literally the first 12 minutes, even the first six minutes, 5-2 victory. And th- this has been an issue throughout the year. I know Cassidy's talked about, hey, if we can get off to better starts, you know, we can be a really good team. That's paraphrasing. Uh, they won last night 5-2, and they got out to a 4 nothing start inside of 12. And I will say, when you said, you know, what's the easy bet, and I said over, and then I think you were looking for one of the sides, though, to play uh, in the game. I thought over was the way to go. Uh, in that game last night, and uh, and we kind of saw it. I mean, the Kings are a team that plays pretty high-scoring games. Uh, they don't get great goaltending, and they didn't go with their starter yesterday in net, which is a little bit interesting as well. Uh, but it, was, it wasn't it was necessarily a great start, right, for the Knights because they gave up a goal right away. Yeah, Kings come right out and score. Puck comes side of the goal, and the Kings have scored. We'll see who gets credit. I think Quentin Byfield was around the net if he got a piece of the shot from the wing. Challenge. Let's go. After review, the play was offside. No goal. So what happened on the challenge? Uh, the Kings were very clearly offside. It was one of the fastest reviews you're ever going to see in your life. Uh, referees came over, looked at the video. They stepped out and said no goal. Uh, it was pretty clearly offside away from the play. Uh, but, yeah, the, that, that was offside. And it's something that the Golden Knights have been very, very good at. And, and, I, you know, I think this is a very important thing that they're, they're really good at knowing when to challenge, knowing when there's an issue, knowing when they're going to win. Uh, I believe they're now four for four on the season of doing this. And Cassidy has a really good video staff, and he trusts them. And when they say, hey, we saw something, uh, he doesn't hesitate to act. And that could have been big early in the game. If you you, know, you challenge that and you're wrong, you're down one nothing, giving up a power play right away for, for being wrong in the challenge, and uh, you're in a bad spot. But uh, they knew, they won it, and uh, not only did they take that goal off the board, but they took full advantage of it. Phil Kessel, uh, I mean, it seemed like within seconds, gets an official one on the board. Here's Stevenson behind the net, joined by Kessel. Phil walks out in front of wraparounds. It's in the goal! Wraps it around at the left post. Barbashev crashing the crease as well. Phil Kessel gets the first goal after all. 1-0 Knights. So there you go. You heard it. Dan Duva on the call. 1-0 Knights. Uh, Barbie steps up less than three minutes later to make it 2-0. And then we had another review situation after this goal by Stevenson. Knights come out of the zone after a face-off win. Kessel to Stevenson all the way to the goal. He scores. Goal is knocked off its pegs. There was a delayed penalty against the Kings. I don't know if this will count or not. Phil Kessel was decked into the right post. 
which knocked the goal off its pegs. It's Is goal. it a goal or not? Goal. The referees are talking about it. All right, you hear uh, Gary saying it's a goal. It was a goal. Why was it a goal? It's a goal because it was the the goal was knocked away from its post by contact caused by the Kings. So essentially, you can't if you're a defensive player, you can't f do an action that causes the net to be dislodged and use that as defense. So the net was off and way back. It was not even close to where it's supposed to be. And the puck crosses the goal line where the net would have been, and that counts as a goal. Now, I, of course, you know, that rule makes some sense, but I said, what if the net is, let's say they push it off and it's driven all the way into the corner. Let's say the net is just standing in the corner. How are we deciding if it's a goal or not based on where it crosses? And it's apparently a judgment call that if a, if a puck goes in where, where the net would have been, I said, how could you tell if it would have hit the post or how it would have done? How high can it go based on just – it's based on the opinion of the, of the official. As if that wasn't bad enough for the Kings. It's 3 nothing at that point. And then uh, right around uh, 8.05, uh, Nick Waugh was super active, all sides of the net on this one, and he gets the reward. Low to high, Petrangelo fires wide left, rebound, Eichel in front, score, Nick Waugh. Power play goal, 4 nothing Knights. Yeah, 5-2, final 4 nothing at that point. Big win, essentially pushing the Kings out of a chance to win the division. Yeah, I mean, they're still mathematically alive, but now they're behind two teams, they're well back, only a couple games left to play. Uh, it would be very shocking if the Kings won the division at this point. So now the Golden Knights are certainly in command, but the Oilers are right there trying to take them down to win the division title. But uh, right now the, the Knights certainly have to be considered a pretty sizable favorite to win the division. If you're looking to watch a little uh, baseball tonight, well, UNLV baseball is playing over at Earl E. Wilson Stadium. It's the second game of a three-game series against Reno. Silver State Series is presented by America First Credit Union last night. Rebels won 7-1. Tonight is a 6.05 first pitch. Tomorrow, game three, is a 12.05. You buy tickets in advance for Saturday, just $6 at UNLVtickets.com. Today, it's $10. It's game day, so it's $10. But for Nevada high school students, Zippo. Kids 12 and younger, Zippo. UNLV students, free as well. Go to UNLVtickets.com to grab your tickets. Games tonight against Reno and tomorrow. Tonight, first pitch is at 6.05. And they do have a little special on the Drinkies, as it is a $2 Dos Equis night. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Yeah, that was a weird one from the, uh, the other Unnecessary Roughness show. Q does the original. And uh, Q Myers on Radio Nation Radio 920. That one's uh, with Barstool. Um, entertaining stuff, though, on that show, because I see, like, one-minute clips. They do a good job of putting stuff up on TikTok. We, know, we all know. Listeners and on the show, that's all I consume anymore. So uh, there was no Masters update on, the, on uh, TikTok, so I missed it. The, uh, the, I saw the tree falling. saw the tree falling. That was on TikTok. But if you don't know, um, well, I was driving, so I was trying not to watch TikTok as I drive. I know you have different driving habits. Um, today is suspended. Three trees fell down. So no play. They're going to start at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning, our time. So they better have it on TV because I'll be up at 5 watching the Masters. So that Boise State football take is really interesting. I think that's more of a south, midwest, northeast take uh, when it comes to college football. Caleb, do you think no one cares or Boise State is irrelevant because they've had three 
kind of decent years on the heels of going 44 and 11. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say no one cares. It depends on what you're talking about with the national scene, I guess. Like, if you're talking about contention for the playoffs, no, I don't think they're there. Um, I, I think that the time period that was given in that, that, that take was uh, right around the same time period that we've had, you know, the college football playoff, which kind of narrowed the national conversation. I think Boise State has fallen off of that mantle of the group of five school that's kind of knocking on the door to getting respect from the power five. And it's kind of been a revolving door of as far as which program has stepped up. There's been a cycle of those. Cincinnati had its shot. UCF had its shot. Houston is another school that comes to mind that, that, that a program that builds up to being a, a potential power five school. It's the timing of uh, Boise state's kind of fall off from that cycle is just kind of bad with all the conference realignment that's going on, because I think the national conversation has changed to where you're looking to jump into a power five team and Boise state five, six, seven, ten years ago would have been an easy pick uh, yeah. to, to join one of these, these power five conferences. But now I'd agree. No, they're not the top pick. They're not the most desirable option um, for a, a power well, five realignment type of thing. The so problem that, is that's, the, I'd, I'd agree with that side. Central Florida mentioned is in the power five now. So since he central Florida, Houston, um, BYU is into the big 12. So now, competition for Boise and Mountain West Conference schools might be, oh, I don't know, Tulane. And again, on the record, um, it was just three seasons ago that Boise was finishing up a 44-11 four-year run. Last three years, including the COVID year, they went 22-11. and That's not bad. Uh, last year was 10-4. and uh, They went 8-0 in conference, but they couldn't get the job done in the title game against Fresno. And I think, you know, if there's been a little drop off with Boise State, a lot of it has been the rest of the conference has gotten better and hired better coaches. That's all it is. The, the, the middle and the bottom have come up and play more competitive football now. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that they lost to Fresno, which has been over the past four to five years right there with them as far as competitive. I mean, Boise State's probably gotten the better of that matchup, but they've been right there. It's not like they've been untouchable within their own conference. So, like you said, the conference just being stronger as a whole. Reno even took them to task a couple of times. It's like there's there's certain reasons where it's like, okay, Boise's not as dominant as they were. So the appeal maybe nationally isn't there. The brand maybe isn't there. They've had coaching transition, which is a part of this deal. Like when a coach leaves and goes somewhere else and moves on, um, that there's transition within the program and philosophy change. So so yeah, there's there's not the same allure as the Fiesta Bowl winning Boise State Broncos that took the nation by storm, obviously. Um, and uh, along with that, there's other teams across the nation that have risen and been more attractive storylines. So I, I wouldn't say that it's Boise falling off necessarily. It's just things change. You can't everybody can't be Alabama and always be a part of the national conversation. Just I mean, look at look at Clemson. Would anybody say that Clemson's no longer a part of the national conversation anymore? We they hope. had a down year. They, they weren't up to it. <laughs> we, we, we hope some of us hope. But, I mean, they're, they're still Clemson at the end of the day. It's th They didn't have a year that we're accustomed to seeing. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're irrelevant on the national scene. They, they could easily bounce back, especially when you look at the fact, like Boise, still went undefeated in conference, was in the conference championship game. Um, I, I can't recall their bowl, their postseason results, uh, but they're still relevant. It's not like they're, they're nobodies all of a sudden now. The last three years, just looking up all the records, Boise State 22-11, and 11, Fresno State 23-10, and 10, and Air Force 22-9. and nine. So, my, you know, my, again, backing up my point, other teams came up to 
Boise, and they lost a couple of games. So I don't think they're irrelevant, uh, but I don't think they're going to dominate the conference and, and you know win 12 games and go unbeaten every year moving forward. All right, big day tomorrow. Spring Showcase at Allegiant. Really, no one has had a look at the UNLV football team, although you know folks can go out to practice, but this will be the first unveiling of this team. And, you know, a lot of returners, but whole new coaching staff, new uh, philosophy on offense and defense. So I'll kind of throw it out to you before we start pinpointing some different things. What do you look for in a spring football game, especially with this UNLV situation? I look for cleanliness, uh, especially in the UNLV situation where there's like a there's new install everywhere, right? There's a whole new offense, whole new defensive structure. I look for the the game to whatever capacity it's live in scrimmage. I look for it to be minimal assistance from coaching staff and uh, minimal operational errors and getting lined up. You know, nobody lining up in the wrong spot, having to be corrected, things like that. Penalties, obviously, you don't want those. Um, but I want that part to be clean. Health, obviously, uh, you want to come out of spring ball as healthy as possible. But I, I want to see the offense run as intended. And it might not be as as perfect or as productive. Um, and this goes for defense, too. I, I speak from offense. But I want it to be alignment, assignment, technique aren't, aren't the question. Um, it's just a matter of do you have the pieces? Is everybody playing fast enough? So you can actually get an assessment of what things will look like or should look like come fall. That's that's what I'm looking for for UNLV uh, out, out of this spring game. And really what you look for out of most spring games, that's that's what you do is you install. Um, and then hopefully you get a taste of the future because usually what it turns into after your ones or twos or who you project to be ones or twos get their, their fill of reps, you turn to the young guys and let them do the rest of the live stuff that the fans want to see, right? You let them hit each other, let them, you know, take their shots down the field. And that, that will give us a chance to see guys uh, who should be future starters and future stars for the Rebels. And I think that's that's an important piece of spring ball, too, because in the fall, those guys don't get reps. And that's just the truth of it. Um, so getting get an opportunity to see some of the guys who are younger on the roster, like the, the linebacker out of, out of Hawaii, like Blessing, who may not be a part of the ones and twos this year, but is expected to do some big things. Maybe he gets a lot of live look during the spring ball uh, as a spring showcase. So uh, those are the kind of things I'm looking forward to. But honestly, I'm not looking forward too much out of the spring game. There's, there's a lot to be determined from the roster standpoint. There's another uh, transfer portal period coming up. There's a lot of recruiting to be done during the offseason. There's guys who have committed that aren't yet there. So nowhere near looking for a final product out of the spring showcase, but just kind of a progress report. You know, have, have we got the offense down? Is install successful? And can they operate cleanly uh, in a game-type setting without coaches' assistance? That's what you're looking for out of the showcase. And you know the reality of the situation, Caleb, is if the offense plays well, the defense sucks. And if the defense plays well, the offense sucks. Like, that, that's all people are going to see coming out of it. So I do hope that your, you know, your words are a little bit more uh, you know, instructive to what people should be looking for. Wow, that's a lot of pressure on you on the field as one of the announcers. <laughs> I don't mean your you gotta, I mean you words. Soften the blow. I mean your words right now. Like oh, okay. what you're saying okay. right now of like telling people what to look for yeah. uh, is more than right. You know, because it, it it would never be if the offense played well. It would never be. Hey, the offense looks good. It's just the other defense sucks. Like that's just how people no, tend to do this. Absolutely. I think there's I think there's a way you could spin that though, and I'm going to hope these words resonate with people. I think at this point, with any team installing, defense should be ahead of offense. I think so. If the defense plays well and kind of stymies the offense, the positive spin could be, well, the defense is on track and the offense will get there. Um, and I think that's that's one of the ways you get spinning because installing an, an, a defense is easier because 
and I, I say this not to insult the intelligence of, of defensive players everywhere, but the defense, you have a map to what you're supposed to do because you're doing basically what the offense dictates you do. So lining up defensively is like, okay, what formation is the offense in? Line up to it. So there's kind of a roadmap. Offensively, it's like I'm creating something from scratch. There's no clue on what the defense is doing to tell me necessarily where to line up or what play I'm running. I, I have to know that off the top. You know, if you're playing outside linebacker and, you know, you got trips to your side, it's like, okay, bump out. Like, it's kind of common sense at this point in your career. So defenses typically get installed done faster than offenses, and that's just my experience playing the game. So at this point in the spring, I wouldn't be surprised, and this might be to the delight of Coach Odom and the rest of the staff on defense, that the defense has a better day than the offense. I know he'll say he wants both to have their moments, um, and there's ways that that can happen. But I, I think the expectation should be that the defense is a little bit ahead, a step ahead of the offense as far as what they're able to do at the end of spring. Can I, like, uh, what I want to see is plays run quickly. I don't care if they work or not. Just, like, give me some pace on offense. And also, when I'm watching passing plays, like, I don't care if they're completed. I just want to see guys getting open. I want to see good route concepts. Like, that's what I want to see. I don't care if the plays work at this point of the spring. Like, just make the offense look like it's going to be something. And that's, that's what I, by cleanliness, that's what I mean. I mean, I want to see that the route concepts, that there's spacing on the routes. Like when, when a guy's, you know, you're running a smash concept, the corner's not right on top of the hitch, or you're running a dig and a shallow cross. I want to see the spacing between those two, that level play, that structure. If there's seams running down the hash, I want them to actually be down the hash. And, and I want to be able to visually see the bind they're trying to put that single high safety in just by looking at the play, incomplete or not. It's going to be, I want it to be, you know, structurally there. And that's that's from the practice I've been to. Fortunately, I, I was able to see a lot of scrimmage a couple of, or last Saturday. Um, and I, I was able to see some of that, right? The timing of the routes and, and things like that in the passing game. Um, so I, I've been privy to it. I've seen it. I want to see them executed again without the coaches out on the field uh, in a real game type scenario uh, where, where, where there's minimal assistance. So uh, that's what I want from the spring game. That, that, I, I would say that falls into my cleanly. I want to be able to see okay, this is what they were trying to do. So we'll clean it up. We'll trim the fat as you know, fall camp gets here. But they understand conceptually what's supposed to be happening, and they're getting to their marks, they're getting to their spots. And like you said, with pace and with tempo, there's not a lot of downtime between snaps. Um, hence the, tame, the term go-go offense. I want to see it go. You know, I, I don't want to see it sputtering out of the gates. Um, and I think that's what fans want to see. Honestly, you get excited about this new offense, this, this completely revamped system that's supposed to be the, the buzz of college football. And it's, it's made its way to UNLV, and it, it's exciting. But I think fans want to get a, list, a little bit of a preview of what it will look like. Maybe not full speed, but let's see what it's like to, to really get an innovative offense here that, that fans can appreciate. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm telling you, there's, there's people that are going to be shocked by it. some unconventional formations that I've already seen now. But um, fans that come on down to Allegiant will, will have a treat when they see this go-go offense. It's different than, than what we've seen in the past year. Caleb Herring's with us. Spring Showcase for UNLV football is tomorrow. Caleb is going to be on the field announcing. I'll be out there as well. They're going to do a lot of 11-on-11 during the scrimmage. Free admission, free parking. It's at Allegiant again. They start at 1 o'clock. So, you know, one of the things they really got to get some work done on uh, is the offensive line. Uh, You've now lost the left side of your offensive line because Preston Nichols appears to uh, have gone into the portal. He's the returning starting left guard. Uh, they've got Jalen St. John in from Arkansas, so he should slip into that spot. But they also lost our left tackle. So as you're trying to put in this new offense, what have you seen? You've gone out there. What is the offensive line kind of dealing with as new faces have to step up and also learn a new offense? 
I think the numbers have definitely dwindled a little bit. The depth is not where you'd like it to be. Just looking at, you know, the, the guys that fit the mold or that have the, the, the offensive line attitude and demeanor about them. I think that's, that's something that's going to need to be shored up a little bit. Um, I think they have probably some capable guys, and that, there's no doubt about that. But do you have five that are, that are solid starters that you trust to get it done the way you want to? I'm not so sure. I think there's room for competition, to say the least. Um, I think there's guys that are returning that have to take another step in development. Um, and talk about Tiger Shanks, and he's been around the program for a while. He has He's a big kid, but has he really turned the corner to be one of the veteran guys who's dominant at his position? Um, you know, the numbers, you know, grading out-wise didn't say it last year. Can he take a turn? He's going to be relied upon this year to kind of be one of the leaders up front. So can he do it? Um, you know, Trig Wright also on that side of the line, on the right side, is, is one of the guys who, who's going to have to step up. Um, but I, I, the depth maybe not there yet, and that's probably something that's going to have to be addressed during the offseason. But with the new system, I think uh, as, as complicated from the outside looking in as the go-go offense is, um, as, as innovative as it is, I think there's some simple com- concepts to it, at least up front, that make it easier for an offensive lineman to just use brute force, dominate in the trenches, and, and, and play – a brand of football that's more physical than I think people give credit to this offensive system. So I think we're going to need to see that from the offensive line. It is definitely a work in progress, but I think there's, there's, there's some opportunities there for them to get there. And I think there's guys waiting in the rings like that we've anticipated uh, since, you know, highly recruited guys like Rosas on the offensive line, who's, who's getting a shot. He's getting in the rotation, but can he break through that ceiling and, and become a guy that's reliable, gets on the field, maybe potentially in a starting position by the end of the season. We're talking about, you know, that kind of progress that needs to be made perhaps over the offseason and into fall camp. But we'll see. I think the offensive line has an opportunity to play a different brand of football. I think that's the goal with this offense, to be a physical, dominant offensive line, um, not through complication, not through through overly complicated schemes up front, but through just sheer physicality. Um, can they get five guys on the field that, that bring that attitude and that dominance in the trenches to the table? We'll see um, uh, spring ball. I don't think will be an indicator of that. I think health and getting through spring showcase clean is going to be what we see from the guys up front. Um, but by fall, we're going to need to see some fire from the offensive line. If this go-go offense wants to really go how it wants to, I think it, I think they're going to have to have some some progress up front during the offseason. The, uh, the quarterback situation, Doug Brumfield is the clear number one. He's been the clear number one all of spring practice. Who's going to settle into the two, three, and four spots, and can all four stay? Uh, that's a tough question, and it, it's it's really hard because you know the times I've been out this spring, um, and especially during the live periods, it's been a lot of Doug at one, and I think rightfully so as the number one guy getting a lot of the reps, trying to establish his timing and rhythm. Um, but the young guy, Jaden Myava, is taking a lot of reps as well, and I think that's typical of any spring camp uh, because I mentioned before the young guys usually don't get reps during fall. Um, so that's not to say that Jaden's a number two or anything like that. I don't think the rest of the depth chart is really settled. Um, but it's to say that he's a young guy who's getting a lot of reps, trying to find his comfort zone with the team. That leaves Harrison and Cam Friel kind of, you know, in limbo during spring, which is kind of be a double-edged sword. Like, yeah, they might be two and three on the depth chart, but do they get bored? <laughs> do, they, do they see the writing on the wall and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not signing up for this. I, I have another opportunity to enter the transfer portal. Now it looks more appealing than it did, um, you know, during the winter. Maybe I, I take my chances. And, you know, there's, there's always that factor. Um, and I don't know the, the numbers of how many guys transferred twice or the likelihood of, of a guy who entered once and how likely he is to enter again. But Harrison's always already made the transition. So he's familiar with the process 
Um, I, I would say maybe just my hint hunch would be that it would be easier for him to do it again. Um, it seems like Cam Friel, um, to me, just, just looking at the two guys, and th these are the two that I would think would be uh, likely to go if, if there was one of the or the other. I think Cam Friel, there's always the allure of going back home. Um, and Hawaii is, is you know, there's a, there's a different feel for home with Hawaii with a lot of the, the people that are from the island. So um, I would say one of the two, I would, I would expect, I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of the two, I should say, I, I, I wouldn't say I expect, I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of those two was out in this next cycle for a transfer portal, just because uh, of what you said, Doug being the clear cut number one and having a lot of eligibility left as far as his age goes. Um, and then with Jaden Maiava kind of waiting in the wings, I, I think he's, I, I liked him last year, just his talent and his arm talent and what I saw from him in practice. And then again, seeing him a lot this spring, getting a lot of reps and trying to get comfortable at the collegiate level. I think he's he, he's panning out to be somebody that he can look to for the future. So then where do the other guys stand? So I would see one of those two probably leaving the room uh, wouldn't be a surprise to me. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Maybe everybody stays. Maybe everybody loves it here and everybody accepts their role and um, is willing to, to, to ride the ship out. But. Um, as we've seen across college sports, really, not just not just football, we've seen across not too many kids are willing to do that these days. So I uh, can't blame them for it. But I, I would expect the transfer portal, not only at the quarterback position, but across the board for the football team to, to have some more entries coming into spring ball. Let's close by talking a little NFL. Cofield Company on ESPN Las Vegas, Caleb Herring, one of our football insiders is with us. Anthony Richardson reportedly is visiting the Raiders. He's just starting off his visits. What's your impression of Richardson, you like him? Can he play anytime soon? Could he actually get drafted and then be the Raiders' backup behind Jimmy G and in front of Brian Hoyer? Is he ready for those kind of duties? What do you think? I I like I like AR fifteen. I, I like him. I, he's all upside, really. I think is is the the more intriguing thing about him. He he threw very little passes in comparison to the other quarterbacks that are listed in the top five or however you want to rank the quarterbacks in this draft. So you just don't see him as a passer as much, but he's an athlete supreme. I mean, he has the arm strength. You see that he has the measurables. He's ridiculously athletic. Um, so he has game-breaking potential written all over him and could be a, a big-time win for a franchise somewhere. I don't think the Raiders, you know, proposed, uh, I guess, theory that's out there makes a lot of sense, given that the Raiders have so much other things to fix about their roster first. And, you know, I, I'll say that I'll beat the dead horse defense. I, they, they have so much more to be concerned with than to be trying to make Jimmy Garoppolo a bridge quarterback while you develop AR-15 behind him or anybody behind him, really, to be spending that much draft capital on a quarterback at this point. Um, I think the decision to sign Jimmy Garoppolo is, was an answer at quarterback. So I don't think you need to be going for uh, a secondary answer at quarterback at this point when you have so much other work to do roster wise if you're the Raiders now any other there's other franchises that I think can find themselves in a position where he makes sense and you could spend that much on him and in a couple of years reap the benefits of that potential of that upside but as far as uh you know the top quarterbacks that I have I would I would probably put him at uh maybe four or five of the of the guys and I think you know CJ Stroud's been my number one guy for the entirety of the offseason um, Bryce Young right behind him. I think surprisingly for me, Will Levis has this, the potential to be the opposite of, of Richardson, which is the, the the biggest bust of, I guess, the top quarterbacks that are out there where his his upside is not as high and there's a potential for a disaster um, drafting him, depending on where he ends up situationally. Um, and then 
think Hendon Hooker is another name that was floated out there. Um, he's dealt with injuries his whole career, essentially, some being more serious than others and being out of his control. But that's always going to be a question mark that hurts his draft stock. So there, there's there's plenty of questions around everybody. I do say that, that that Richardson has the most upside of the quarterbacks. I don't know if that's how you want to make decisions. That's a very aggressive and risky way to go about building a franchise. But he has upside. There's no doubt about it. He could be something special in the future if he if he sticks with it and, and develops as a passer. Caleb, we're up against it next week. We definitely want to talk Jake Hayner because we got to see a lot of him. And, you know, maybe he's a guy who's drafted and does have a starter's future in the NFL. We'll get to all that. I'll see you on the field tomorrow for the Spring Showcase, okay? All right, see you there. Have a good one. There he is. Caleb Herring with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. On the way back, uh, wanted to get to a little more of the rumors around Mac Jones are going crazy in the New England area, wondering why Belichick seems to be uh, very much frozen still on his quarterback. NFL season is over, but no worries. You can listen to all Vegas Vipers home games on Raider Nation Radio 920 and streaming live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Boy, it's interesting what not winning at the highest level has done for Bill Belichick in the Boston market. That was WEI. That was Courtney on the Greg Hill Show and former NFL tight end, Patriots tight end as well, Jermaine Wiggins. He's got the wicked strong accent and this whole storyline that hey you know mac jones isn't happy you know if your boss isn't being nice to you and supporting you he's not happy can you imagine anyone speaking about bill belichick like this five years ago you remember how many how many tweets did you get i don't even remember what the story was was it the brady was it brady talking to mark davis before he'd made his decision there was something brady related and like you had Hundreds and hundreds of diehard Patriots fans because no one could ever speak ill of Belichick. You had hundreds and hundreds of people wishing death upon you. It was that, and then I think there was some sort of like a uh, joke about you know footballs or something too. Oh, def- that's what I think it was. It was a deflated football joke. Yeah, and I mean Belichick is basically I don't know. Some sort of deity. He's he's Jesus in a cutoff sweatshirt for them. Not anymore. Yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt's being mistreated. Um, here's another part of the conversation is they uh, they kind of lead into what they were talking about there about being an unhappy employee and Max not being treated nicely. He wants out. There is no way that anybody, and we always talk about how the athlete has changed. I don't care if you're a professional athlete, you're in college, you're in high school, you're in Pop Warner. If your coach doesn't want you, if your coach isn't telling people how great you are, right. even if he doesn't believe it in his soul, at least say it out to the media. I wouldn't want to play for Bill Belichick if I was Mac. Wow. And she said right after that, I love Bill Belichick. So we're confused on this one. I mean, I this would never happen in years past where they would take up for a player over Belichick. Especially him. Like, it's not like he's been great. Yeah. It, it's really weird to see just how far the facade has kind of fallen uh, on the Belichick regime. It's kind of crazy. But along, along the lines, I actually watched like an hour interview last night with Mike McDaniel from the Dolphins. It was almost the exact opposite. It was him talking about why he actually had confidence into it and why he was so rushing to get out there and talk about how much confidence he had in Tua. And he kind of said along these same lines of, hey, and if a quarterback's not – or if a coach isn't supporting you, you don't want to play. He just said, like, I came in and I realized, like, all Tua's ever heard is when he does something wrong. 
in the pros. Like he's a, he's oh he did this wrong, he did this wrong, he did this wrong. He's not good at this. He's not living up to the hype. He's not this. And McDaniel said, I knew that I had to support him and boost him up and build his confidence, but I knew it couldn't be fake. He's like, so he he just went to work on finding things that Tua did right and then putting together a tape and showing not only Tua but everyone in the organization of all the things that he did right so that he could build up the confidence and, and do it real, do it for real, not just fake it. So I think that's the other part. Like, I think if Belichick comes out and he's like, I think Mac Jones is awesome. He's a great player. Like, it would be fake. So he can't do that. So I think the only way for really, in this situation, the only way for Mac Jones to get this together the way he wants in that way would be to play well. And he just hasn't done that yet. And he's been, a, he's been an issue from all reports around the team. 364-1100, giveaway time. Bert Kreischer here in the summer. We've got the tickets right now. They're on sale right now at access.com. Bert Kreischer, fully loaded world tour. Two tickets, July 12th. That's a Wednesday, July 12th at the Fortress, AXS.com. Bert Kreischer tickets. Ari's got them, 364-1100. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. I like that. Grow up. You don't want to debate? <laughs> Get out of here. I like that a lot. Um, we won't remember by Monday because we're all old and feeble and do a lot of things. Um, but we probably should do that every day on some kind of debate. Uh, I'm ready to brawl on this one. This is not an embrace debate situation. But you send stuff over, and I'm just like, okay, this is going to be stupid, and I'm going to get angry, and I'm going to get very angry, like the lady with the finger in the Wendy's chili. That's an old drop. Oh, yeah. Um, did anyone in Connecticut have something negative to say about the town of Houston? Yeah. Okay, what's the issue? I mean, here? first of all, probably everyone. I, I had no issues with it. Everyone that was there, I'm sure, had negative things to say. Uh, but in particular, the one that didn't go over well was the governor. Okay. Okay. He said, you leave, you go down to the game, you leave the arena, and it's just butt ugly. I'm guessing you agree. Yeah, Houston's trash. All of Houston is trash? Yeah, almost, for the most part. In general, it's a pretty trash city. It's a giant footprint of a city. There's lots of culture there. There's not. That's the issue. No, there, there is. You just don't explore. You went to the wrong barbecue place. That's so you, part of the culture. You disagree with Ned Lamont? Well, we no, we went to the right yes, barbecue yes, place. Yes, they were yes, sold out. Yes, I, I disagree with the governor of Connecticut, Ned Lamont. I like Houston. What about it? I like the culture. I like the food. He, he I find it interesting, and I got to tell you, in a state, he singled in, out downtown Houston in, in, in particular. In a state with stores, Hartford, New Haven, what other cities do you want to mention that have? Horrific reputations. New Haven's lovely. Mm-hmm. The the uh, beats is lovely. Bristol. Their, their pizza. Yeah, Bristol. I mean, <laughs> pot calling the kettle black here. Uh, Chill, bruh. Our guy, Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston. I hope he flipped his freaking lid. He did. Good. He, uh, he, he accused Lamont of, quote, throwing shade. I like that. Uh, he said, after the city, quote, Fed you, dined you, hosted you, and housed you. And then he said, quote, and you're going to go back and talk about butt ugly? Which end was he looking from? Oh, I don't know what that means. So weak. 
this trash talking on Houston does suck. It doesn't. It's that's incorrect. I have a good time every time I go there. It's not well. You can have a good time anywhere. It doesn't mean it's it's good. You've said you had a good time in Laramie before. Yes, that's the whole thing. You Laramie's can you trash. can make a good time. I don't like Laramie. That but nobody much. said you can. No, he didn't say he didn't have a good time. He said it's ugly. It is. It's 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 not. It's trashed okay. down. All right. Is is Las Vegas a pretty city? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There's fountains. But there are people who come here who don't appreciate the strip, and they could say the city is ugly. Sure, morons. <laughs> it's a lovely town. And yeah, sure, if you're going to a certain hotel and a certain place and you walk out, like, oh, it's ugly. Yeah, it probably is. There's ugly parts of everywhere. Downtown Houston is pretty trash. I didn't think it was. It sucks. I like how they built it up. They're trying. Still nothing open late. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. But like I said, uh, some of those cities I mentioned – in Connecticut, are real hellholes. Sure. Except that, like, they have good pizza. There's bad towns everywhere. One happens to be Houston. I don't get it. Everyone with the axe to grind against H-Town. They were very lovely to us, very nice. I'm glad the Final Four is not there next year. But although Phoenix kind of sucks, too. so. Why does, why does Phoenix suck? It just sucks. The downtown sucks. It's terrible. Glendale is so far away. It is very spread out. Uh, Houston, we could survive without a car. I got good stories in Houston. I walked out to get, when I was leaving to get rideshare, I walked by some place. They had a country artist singing. The second song, because I was like, I don't know who this is. Second song he played, I was like, oh, my God, I know that one. Okay. And then I hear a shout-out for one of the CBS sideline ladies. She was there? Wolfie. Wolfie was in there. We got to get her on. Talk about creepy. I'm going to drop that on or that knowledge I got.